0: I'm Tom Kennedy, Executive Director of the American Society of Media Photographers, and we're here today with a special edition of our podcast series ASMP Experts and Masters. I'm joined by Mike Clipper, our advocacy counsel and a person with 40 years' experience as an attorney dealing with copyright issues and intellectual property issues. We're here to talk about the CASE Act, a piece of legislation working its way through Congress that would write an historic inequity in the copyright system. Mike, talk to me about the CASE
1: Act. What is it, and then where are we? The CASE Act is a major piece of legislation that's been kicking around, Tom, for on and off for about a decade. Uh, the last three years, it's picked up speed following a report by the Copyright Office that had been requested by the House Judiciary Committee. That report called for the the creation within the Copyright Office of a small claims board to hear claims uh, under thirty thousand dollars. Why is this important and why is this necessary? As you said, there is an historic inequity that's been part of the copyright law for as long as I, you know, people can remember. And that is that the cost of federal litigation is so high that individual creators and small businesses find it virtually impossible to afford and maintain litigation to protect their copyrights in federal court. You have to remember in this regard that they have nowhere else to go. Federal courts have exclusive jurisdiction over copyright cases. You can't go to state court. You can't go to a local court. You have to go to federal court. The cost of that litigation is so expensive, it's estimated that's about a third of a million dollars to maintain a litigation all the way through. Uh, That simply isn't going to work when the claims we're talking about are much much less than that. And the attorney's fees are not necessarily going to be paid even if you win. Attorney's fees go to the prevailing party with the discretion of the court. So what happens? People write cease and desist letters when the works are infringed. They you know, they bang their head against the wall and they get upset, but they really have no right. They have no remedy to go with the rights that are afforded them under the Copyright Act. So now there's a movement in Congress to rectify this situation by adopting the legislation initially recommended by the Copyright Office and currently supported by a bipartisan group of members of the House Judiciary Committee. You mentioned Hakeem Jeffries, a Democrat from Brooklyn. He is the original introducing he originally introduced the bill, along with Tom Areno, a Republican from Pennsylvania, and there are several others who are on the bill now, including Lamar Smith, a former chairman of the House Judiciary Committee from Texas, a Republican, another Republican, Doug Collins from Georgia, a Democrat, Judy Chu from California, Ted Liu, another Democrat from California, and importantly, um. Mr. Nadler, the ranking Democrat on the House Judiciary Committee, is also on it, as well as Mr. Cicilline from Rhode Island, another Democrat. It is not atypical for legislation and copyright, unlike in other areas, to be bipartisan in nature. And this is a very good point to know that we have crossed party lines and we will not get involved in party, you know, um, fights on this this type of issue. Um, It's important because... Congress is finally getting to the cusp of making a change in the law that will end this inequity. In the next few weeks, we expect the House Judiciary Committee, we're hoping for, a vote in the House Judiciary Committee on the CASE Act. And for the last couple of years, ASMP and others in the community, other photographer groups, visual artist groups, authors, songwriters, etc., have been working together to come to this day where we vote in committee. It's a very crude... It's an essential step in the legislative process. So
0: I know that we've talked a lot with members of Congress and their staffs in the last two years trying to advance the bill and to support Representative Jeffries in bringing it forward. What are you hearing in terms of how members of Congress are regarding the issue and how seriously they're taking our request to try to get legislation that would actually give us a viable alternative to federal court for these issues?
1: I think that our very aggressive lobbying of the type of groups I mentioned before has been quite successful in educating members about both the need for it and for the legislation and the prompt action by the by the Congress um, so I think we have been very successful in that um, nothing is a guarantee however and you always expect the unexpected when you're dealing with Congress and votes are coming up and recently um, some groups in the tech community have raised some concerns regarding the legislation and the proponents the ASMP and others along with relevant staff members on the hill have been working very hard to respond to those needs and have a number of changes that we hope will um, address their concerns, but it's not clear yet whether we have fully done so. And that effort is an ongoing one at this moment, and our goal would be to um, continue to make clear that there are two categories of, of, of things to be considered when we're talking about the opposition that, if you can call it that, that no one's outright opposed the bill yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I hesitate to use the word opposition, but it is it is a risk and a threat to us. One is the type of issues in the bill that are simply non-negotiable. And um, I'll, I'll talk about the bill in more depth in a minute, and the, and those type include, the, um, for example, the opt-in versus opt out under the legislation it's voluntary Um, the claimant such as you a photographer um, who files a case with the small claims uh, has to notify as you do in federal court typically in the same generally the same manner the potential defendant that defendant has a period of time under the small claims legislation to decide to affirmatively opt out and therefore send the case back to federal court, which unfortunately in many instances will mean the case doesn't go anywhere because of the expenses that are associated with litigation and the inability to the individual creator and small business person to afford those. The second list of you know of issues that are out there are the ones I mentioned earlier, where we've attempted to address some of their concerns. We can get into those in a minute. So we are we are very open to looking at legitimate questions that are being raised and trying to address them. And I think we've done that you know, quite well. Um, we, are, however, are resistant to what I would call killer amendments, which would basically maintain the status quo and, and not change anything and would render this legislation really unworkable and unhelpful for small creators and small businesses. And we've had very good success, I think, working with other
0: organizations, representing authors and songwriters as examples, as you've already cited. It seems to me that this is a situation in which we as small creators are the David against sort of arrayed against Goliaths who potentially could come in and squash the bill and, you know, prevent us from really getting the remedy that we seek that we that long had a lack of access on. Well, it.
1: I think one of the frustrations we're having now is, is is two two actually they're twofold. One is that these concerns were raised late in the game, you know, uh, well after we had you know done lots of lobbying and the legislation had been introduced both in the last Congress and the current Congress. So it's always difficult when things happen, you know, when you're approaching that key vote I alluded to earlier in the House Judiciary Committee. So I think you have you have that concern. Um, the bigger issue is that, and the frustration that I have, you know, and I think, you know, you and others share, is that these big entities have no problem going to federal court and defending their rights when their own intellectual property rights are infringed or allegedly infringed. They, they can afford it, they can afford attorneys, and they can go through the process. We can't. So it would it, and not only can they afford the process, as I mentioned earlier, because it's a voluntary system, they can get out of it by simply filing a notice back to the Copyright Office. So it seems to me that not only do they have protections built in, and I'm going to summarize the bill in a moment. Maybe I should have done that earlier and I apologize. Um, but I think that when you look at the bill itself, there are a number of provisions that, coupled with the opt-out, give them plenty of protection. So for the little guy who's not been able to get in the federal court before, we're all scratching our heads of why some of these bigger entities are, you know, why they think that they are facing a situation that they may ultimately lead, which may ultimately lead them to oppose the legislation. I hope they don't. I hope that our good-faith efforts continue and resolve it. Yes. We'll know that in the next couple of weeks. But let me, let me back up and talk a little bit because we got a little ahead of ourselves. Um, as I mentioned, the Copyright Office wrote a report and then included in that report the unusual uh, act of including draft legislation. And that legislation is now reflected in large part in the case act that you alluded to. The bill number, for those of you who don't know, it is H.R. 3945 in the 115th Congress. Um, again, in quick summary, it creates a small claims board for claims not to exceed in total of $30,000. And that, off, that board would be within the Copyright Office. And it would be manned by adjudicators, judges in effect, with experience both in copyright law and what we call alternative dispute resolution, such as arbitration. Um, and they also have to be balanced. They also have to have worked in cases you know, involving both owners and users. So there's a symmetry to that. Um, the real issue here is providing a streamlined process that is less formal and is a real alternative to what the federal courts can offer. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, legal representation, which is really essential in federal court, is optional here. Um, some people who, you know, proponents had wanted lawyers, others were less concerned if thought would make it too technical, but I think on balance, the correct decision was made in the legislation to make it optional. Um, in addition, another wrinkle that I think is very helpful, it has the provision that says law students, under the supervision of a, you know, licensed attorneys, can in fact represent either party, the plaintiff or the defendant, which means that, once again, since it has to be on a pro bono basis, that all parties will have access to some legal talent being supervised by, you know, experienced attorneys. I think that's an important development. Also what we, you know, there's a question of who pays the fees and often there's something called fee shifting. If you win, you know, you, you often have the other side, pay the fees. That's not true here. Um, everybody pays their own fees except in the very, you know, hopefully limited case where someone acts in bad faith and then an award may be, may be made against the bad actor. Um, very important. In-person appearances are not required under the legislation. What does that mean? It means that if you're a photographer or a visual artist in Indiana and you have a case, you don't have to come to D.C. and argue the case. Um, some of the cases will be handled what we call on paper. You'll make an electronic submissions. The adjudicators may think it's a simple enough case to decide it on the basis of the submissions. Other cases, either party and the copyright office itself. The way the, the legislation is being revised, but either party can initiate a quick request for a hearing. So you have the ability to be heard. That hearing, however, is going to occur electronically through internet-like you know processes. So again, you don't the expense of coming to Washington. Not only do you not have to hire an attorney if you don't want to, you don't have to come to Washington. And those are ways that it is really aimed at an efficient, cost-effective, affordable system. Um, also, something that you've all probably heard about is discovery, where information is, is asked for and made available by the different by the opposing parties. That is very limited here, so that, we, that you can't be drowned in it. One of the concerns here about having it streamlined is that when you go to federal court, the fear is if you're up against a well-heeled defendant, he can string out the case. He can load you up with motions, all kinds of discovery requests, and really exhaust your resources. And even if you think you initially might be able to afford the litigation, you may find out that you were very wrong. So the whole goal here is to make it an efficient, streamlined, affordable process. And I think that the legislation does that. Um, Again, there are Other issues, the the remedies available, as I said, it can be up to $30,000. You can't get an injunction. There was concern by various parties that if you have a campaign for a product and someone sues you in small claims court because of a copyright infringement, that you should not lose the ability to continue to offer the product by being enjoined. So the injunctions, one of the compromises in the bill, I think it's fair to say, is that injunctions can't be gotten. If both parties during the course of the proceeding before the small claims board agree, if the other party agree, agree to stop the infringing activity, that can be incorporated in a decision rendered by the board, but they can't unilaterally impose
0: I know, that the that, I know that that last uh, provision was really important to the movie industry and in the, the, book industry. In the book industry, and that's enabled them to support us uh, working under the umbrella of the Copyright Alliance, right. which brings together distributing entities as well as uh, individual creators in common cause, and I think it's really been helpful that... Some of the big distributing organizations like the MPAA have been supportive of us in this regard.
1: Well, I think that's very true. I think the main concerns that were evinced during the long copyright office process, which I should have mentioned, included hearings before the copyright, conducted by the copyright office, and three separate, what we call notice and comment periods, where dozens of entities on all sides of the issue or all perspectives were able to come in and comment, and which were folded into the report. Um, so I think that that, that injunction issue w- was addressed then and it was reflected then in the pending legislation.
0: And I think that this is a really good example of how we've worked hard with other groups to shape a bill that, you know, addresses concerns of
1: both users and uh, creators so that it's a balanced bill. I think that's very important because one of the things that I like to emphasize when we go around the Hill is that the bill is fair to both sides. You know, including, particularly, you know, I'll look at it from the respondent's point of view, the people who are on the end of being sued in small claims court. As I said before, and this really affects the whole discussion of the legislation, if they are notified of a lawsuit, they can opt out. So they they can totally get themselves out from under the process. Secondly, when you're in a trial, one of the concerns that was raised during the corporate office proceedings was can you raise all the defenses you could raise in federal court, such as, for example, the fair use defense, which we're all familiar with. Defendants, potential defendants, wanted to make sure that they would be able to raise that. So all of those legis- all those defenses can be raised in the litigation before the small came. Also, as we said before, unlike the federal court where there's a very high range of you know statutory damages, the damages here... Overall, the actual damages and profits or statutory are limited to thirty thousand that's far less than what might be afforded if someone were to go to federal court and lose
0: so it seems to me that that reality is an incentive for people to participate in the system even if they're you know defendants in it that, that you know that that stands to be a more you know that the outcome could be better than it would be if it were they were in federal court. What other kinds of incentives do you see being available that would create create the climate for this to be utilized as a way of addressing infringements? Not only
1: is it a way of resolving the, the, through litigation, it's a way to encourage settlements. And one of the big discussions and one of the the sticking the tricky parts of this whole legislation is have we built in enough incentives to help ensure that people will not opt out routinely. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about some of the key ones. They know they're going to pay less if they lose, far less potentially. They know they're going to pay a lot less to maintain their defense themselves because it's a streamlined process. They know that if they lose, they're not going to pay the attorney's fees for the other side which is a potential, and very often, let's not lose sight of the fact, that attorney's fees, if awarded in a federal court to a prevailing party, they often can dwarf the amount of the award. So we're talking about real money, and that, that itself is a major incentive. Attorney's fees, except with that bad faith exception I mentioned earlier, are not available. So the hope is that these, these would-be incentives. They can also bring, if they have a claim, they can bring counterclaims. If they believe they have a valid counterclaim to, you know, to, in effect, offset the claim of infringement, they can bring it. They're not impeded in that way. Um, so I think that we – and another one, which is still evolving because we're still making it better, quote-unquote, is the idea of getting rid of frivolous or bad-faith claims. Um, one of the concerns from the get-go was that we don't want to have the small claims board inundated with frivolous or bad faith claims, and we address that in several ways. Um, One is, as I mentioned earlier, attorney's fees can be awarded against someone who brings a bad faith claim, defense, or counterclaim. Um, We now have what we call the repeat offender, or I guess maybe the best way to say it, someone who more than once or twice uh, brings a bad claim, uh, is barred from participating in the system for a year, um, and... I think that's an important change in it, and also there were concerns raised that the the five thousand dollar limit on being on bringing um, on bad faith actions might not be enough in a case where the actual economic impact is much higher. So that we have we have discussed and you know under consideration, um, and we do support it is a provision that would allow the judges, if they felt someone acted in especially bad faith, to exceed the $5,000 limit. And that may be where they're a repeat defender or they have a particularly excessively bad behavior in a case. So when you look at all of that, those are the type of things that we hope taken together will be enough. Um, but I have to be fair, There's, you know, and until we get out there and we see that hopefully this will get enacted and we have experiences we will learn it. But also there's a study at the end of the bill. And after the first few, that's due in, I think, three years. So we'll have three years or so of experience under it. And we're going to monitor it and make sure there are sufficient incentives as well as how other provisions are working. But I think fairness is very important to us. And I think that this coalition with the Copyright Alliance and others has worked very hard to provide that balance.
0: So one of the things that strikes me about this is that we're I know we're at a critical juncture where we hope in the next couple of weeks that the House will do a markup of the bill and then move it out to the full House for a vote. So could you talk a little bit about that process and how that plays out and where in particular you think our members should be weighing in now to help the, well, to help
1: well, ensure well, yeah. that legislators have a sense of how things should go? I, I, I think – that you and I know separately you are you know you are doing these outreach efforts. I think it's incredible, incredibly important that everyone hearing this write to their congressman and urge them to support the legislation about to be voted 3945 in the House Judiciary Committee. Now, if your member is not on the House Judiciary Committee, not one of the 30 or so members, you write to him or her and you say, please contact Mr. Goodlatte, the chairman or Mr. Nadler, the ranking Democrat, whichever party he's affiliated with, and let them know how important this legislation is. So I think right now, in the next couple of weeks, starting now, I would say, those letters and emails, whatever, should be underway, and I know you are separately advising them on how to do that. I think that's of the utmost importance. If it clears the House Judiciary Committee, and this is where how a bill becomes a law, we may recall from civics, it goes to the full House of Representatives. Hopefully, this will be treated as a relatively non-controversial bill if it gets out of committee, and it goes on what we call the suspension calendar, which is a which is a way to vote on a bill that cannot be amended on the floor but requires a two-thirds vote. So once we get done with the within a few weeks of getting out of committee, we will go to the floor if we are you know fortunate enough to prevail. And once again, you'll be writing in, and it won't matter whether he's on or she's on judiciary or not, they have a vote on it. So the the, the two immediate write-in campaigns or contact campaigns are for the House Judiciary Committee, and then we'll go to the full floor if we get out of committee. That will end the House action. Then the situation turns to the Senate, and we will start our, well, we've been working in the Senate throughout this entire period overwhelmingly our focus has been on the house because that's where the legislation has been and we will immediately turn our attention to the senate judiciary committee and go through the same process um, and the goal would be because congress ends you know and everything starts up again at the end of this session of congress congress runs for two years as you know and um this year is a little tricky because um, not as tricky as a presidential year but you have the whole house and the third of the Senate up for election. So we're hoping that this is all done in September. You know, they'll probably go out in October for the election. But um, th- that's the steps we have to go through. And at each step, we'll have to do a similar type of outreach program. And I also encourage you, know, we can talk to you about it. If, anyone has, if anybody listening has a particular relationship with a member of Congress if he, or a senator or knows them, let us know. Let Tom know. And, you know, that that will be helpful. And sometimes what we do is we set up back home meetings during a non-legislative period when the members are there, say, for the month of August. So depending on where things are, we'll be reaching out to you on a regular basis to let you know what the time frame is and what needs to be done at a given time. And sometimes there may be a specific message that we want. Right now, I think it's sufficient to tell them how important it is to end this historic inequity. You know, by voting for the legislation, because you guys have rights, but no remedies. That's pretty. It's, it's an easy message. You know, it hasn't. There's no spin necessary. It's right there. It's in their face. And I think if we get into a situation where particular issues become more important down the road, we might want to refine our message. Right. But for now, I think you know the all-out support and the inequity. We need rights, not you know, not just you know, remedies, not just rights. Will be sufficient.
0: Well, I really want to thank you, Mike, for taking the time to talk with us today about this issue. And uh, I, again, just to reiterate, we need our uh, ASMP members to sign in to the what we're providing as messaging and to send messages to both members of all members of Congress, but particularly those on the House Judiciary Committee, letting them know the importance of HR 3945 and how it actually impacts you individually. That's one thing that we you know we just kind of touched on, but to when you send in messages asking for the support for the bill, I think it really makes sense. To talk about how individually you've been infected by infringements, and the fact that the you know the certainly the irony is not lost on me that we have had protection of the, you know, in the copyright, in Article One of the Constitution since the founding of the country, but we've really faced the situation in recent years with the legislation being the way it is that we really have not had an effective remedy for the right that's afforded by the Constitution. I think that's an important message.
1: situation has been greatly exacerbated, as you always tell me, because of the digital revolution. That's true. And the way in which the things can be copied, perfect copies, with impunity. Right. And I think that that makes it all the more important to act quickly.
0: Well, again, thank you, Mike, for joining me today. And please, everybody, uh, weigh in now and make your voice heard on Capitol Hill.